There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, I'm Harriet Minter, and this is the Badass Women's Hour. On this week's show, I'm asking, how strong do you feel? Partly because new research from the Eva Pill shows we have to be stronger with our GPs when we feel something is wrong, and partly because I'm joined by the author Porna Bell to discuss her new book, Stronger. So look, we have a theme. Yay. And one listener asks whether going out will ever seem normal after a lockdown. So in the past, I've been super proud to do some ambassador work for the charity, The Eve Appeal. They focus on supporting research and finding a cure for all gynecological cancers. And their latest piece of research looks at just why so many of us find that when we go to talk to our GPs about anything gynecological, we leave with a sense of frustration. So of the people they surveyed, they found out that three quarters of them had seen a GP for a gynecological problem in the past year, and that 20% of those had left feeling as though their concerns had been treated as trivial. Now, I have a long history with doctors and finding them very frustrating. So I really resonate with that 20%. I have definitely left doctor surgeries before feeling like I haven't been heard and that people, well, that the person I was talking to just didn't really want to take my problem seriously. So I was really interested that the Eve Pill have issued some tips for ensuring that you can go into a doctor's appointment with the best possible chance of being listened to and being taken seriously. So they suggest that you have a better chance of leaving that appointment feeling satisfied if you know your cycle and where you are in that cycle on that day, know the names of any medications you're on, Know the right words for the various parts of your body that you want to talk about, in particular, the correct words for different parts of your genitalia, and have a clear idea on what you think the next steps are, which I guess means kind of essentially Googling to see what it could be and then what potentially those further tests are that you might want to do. They also suggest that being prepared to be examined, and no, that doesn't mean having had a wax, it means being psychologically prepared for it. And if you're not comfortable with your GP examining you, knowing who you'd feel more comfortable with instead, maybe suggesting having a chaperone in the room, that kind of thing. So I think this is all really good advice. And, you know, absolutely, where possible, we should be going in fully kind of clued up. I don't necessarily feel like you have to know everything that's going on. You don't have to have all of the answers. You don't have to know all of the tests and their exact names, but perhaps just knowing what you think it might be, or if there's any history of anything in your family that you think you should talk about, just keeping a note of that and writing it down. So you've got it written down and you can take in with you. However, that said, I actually think GPs need to take a look at some of these tips as well and just realize 
the level of detail that women are being required to bring in to their surgeries just in order to get a good appointment. Because what we're saying here is that for women to be properly heard by their GP, they need to be as on top of their body and as comfortable with it as a GP would be. And I suspect that for the women that do feel like that, well, they're not the ones leaving the appointment feeling dissatisfied. Instead, it's the women who don't feel comfortable talking about their genitalia. It's the women who don't know the correct names for the correct parts and who perhaps already think they're making a fuss about something that women just have to get on with. Those are the women that GPs need to pay extra attention to and to treat their cases with more care because I think they have the potential to be more serious because it's those women that aren't going when something feels a little bit off. They're going to their GP when something is seriously wrong and they can't avoid it anymore. I'll never get over the story one gynecologist told me about a woman who every month booked days off work because she bled so badly on her period that she was going through towels and not sanitary towels, actual towels every day. And when she finally talked to a doctor about it, she kind of just thought this was normal. She just thought that this was how her body responded and it was a bit embarrassing and it was her fault for having a body that was so much more hard work than anybody else's body. Of course, it wasn't normal and she ended up in a hospital. But these are the women that doctors need to spend more time with, the ones that can't advocate for themselves or don't know how to. And while I agree that we should all go into a doctor's appointment with as much knowledge as we possibly can, I think we also need doctors to wake up and realize that if a woman can't even say the word vagina, let alone know what part of her genitals it actually refers to, then those are the women who are most at risk. This is the Badass Women's Hour podcast. One woman who not only advocates for herself, but also for others is the brilliant Pornobel. Her new book, Stronger, looks at what society tells us about women's strength and turns it on its head. Here she is talking about it. Hi, Harriet. What a pleasure. What a joy to have you, Madeline. <laughs> uh, congratulations on the new book. Tell us, what was the inspiration for it? The, um, I mean, it's, uh, it's, I'll give you the short version. Mm-hmm. Because the long version, fine. you need to buy the book. <laughs> um, but the short version is that um, in my late 30s, so this would have been you know, a couple of years ago, I, um, I took up uh, weight training, competitive weight training, uh, powerlifting. And it was a life-changing moment in terms of me realizing that um, fitness and for example, something like weight loss or weight maintenance, and I believed that the two things were synonymous, that they were the same thing, was actually not true. And actually that something like physical activity, first and foremost, um, was something that needed to be joyous. And then everything else kind of needed to follow after that. And actually that when we talk about something like physical activity, that um, yes, we may talk about the physical component of it, but there's so much more to it which is mental and emotional. And the reason why I realized all of this was when I took up um, powerlifting that I realized that um, when it comes to things like aesthetics, which we place so much importance in when it comes to fitness, actually doesn't really count for very much. You know, when you look at things like ability, capability and so on. And when I then looked um, at how our experience um, was shaped, a lot of us as girls, for example, uh, with PE, which was something that I absolutely hated. Horrific, yep. Yep, 
Mm-hmm. And um, and how actually um, that also coincided with a time where generally our self-esteem, our confidence kind of drops off, that there was actually a really big case to be made for how we unlearned a lot of that stuff and how we reframed it. And in doing so, um, you can access and be your strongest self in whatever capacity that looks like that's right for you versus there's a very narrow template or a template of or idea of what fitness should be. I think that is so fascinating and so needed because as you say, particularly for women, and I I don't I don't maybe you know, because I don't know why it's so different for boys and girls. Why do boys not have that drop off point when it comes to sport and exercise and why do they not see it as this kind of thing we do to punish ourselves and be in certain size in the same way that women do? I mean, I definitely think that, um, you know, there is a lot to be said for uh, what boys and men maybe experience in terms Mm. of, um, uh, you know, for example, eating disorders, um, uh, how they feel about their bodies in a really negative way. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that what I sort of try to kind of cover in the book in terms of that gender gap, because that gender gap has been there for quite a while, you know, in terms of uh, when it significantly starts to separate from each other when you're talking about boys and girls when they're in secondary school, for example. And the only real explanation I can find is this kind of very pervasive social conditioning that sport is just a more acceptable thing for boys to do than Mm. it is for girls. And so, for example, you know, I mean, yeah, sure, I absolutely discuss, um, you know, the the contingent of us that found PE really difficult at school. But even if you were someone at school who really excelled at sport, and let's say, you know, you're a girl, you weren't weren't in the cool club, you know, you weren't considered to be a really cool person in, in the same way that you're your male counterpart may have been at that age. And I think that it was very evident from um, looking at the data around, even even younger than that, to be honest, younger than secondary school, how that social conditioning just kicks in in terms of what girls are sort of um, encouraged to work towards versus boys. If you even look at things like the expectations, right, that we sometimes see in clothing, uh, like ch- uh, children's clothing brands, of um, girls needing to look pretty and boys being able to go off on adventures. You know, it's very, yeah. very in- embedded in everything that, that we're taught when we're at that age. I think it's so true that we we just put that idea of kind of boys as adventurers and girls as, you know, I don't know, future CEOs maybe probably more likely princesses um and I think the concept of adventure and sport is so linked because for me I've only ever really been able to enjoy exercise when I've seen it as some sort of an adventure when I've seen it as like oh what can I do or this is quite interesting or what happens if I try this is that how you felt about powerlifting not initially no I mean I initially when I sort of started on that road um, to just get physically stronger. And by that, I mean, for me, the goal was very singular in terms of um, just literally being able to lift things that were heavy. And I know that that sounds, you know, really simplistic, but that's what the initial goal was. Mm. And then I think it was as I undertook that journey, because I'd never done anything like that before, you know, the the free weight section of the gym, as it is for many, many people, um, absolutely terrified me and also I just 
I didn't even know where to begin with it. I didn't know how to write myself a program. I didn't know what kind of exercises to do and so on. So it very much was a work in progress. But when it was undertaken and when I actually, um, you know, uh, there's a lot to be said for um, how you make this kind of stuff economically accessible to everyone. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, I was lucky enough that at the time I could afford to pay for a trainer to show me all of all of this stuff. Um, But what ended up happening was that I then connected with a community who um, who then basically encouraged me to take things on. So, for example, whether that was lifting um, twice my own body weight or actually entering a powerlifting competition, which when I started on this journey seemed like such a distant and foreign and intimidating thing to do. But these people encouraged me to do it. And that's what made it seem like an adventure that was actually within my reach. But when I first started out, it just seemed like something that was completely alien to me and was completely out of my grasp until I saw other women who looked like me, who were the same age as me, you know, um, Uh, and also actually across a a very wide range of body sizes and so on that made me think, actually, this is a space that I can occupy. I can actually do this. I mean, you touch on something that's really interesting there because I think one of the things I see a lot on social media when people, and by people I generally mean personal trainers, but not always, are talking about women and weights is they say, don't worry, you can lift weights without getting big. As though if you got big, that would be the worst thing that could possibly ever happen and you'd never set foot in a gym again. Yeah. And you say there that, you know, there was a range of shapes and sizes. Tell us a little bit about what powerlifting does to your body or did to your body. Yeah, so that, <laughs> that, that has been a real roller coaster because mm-hmm. at the beginning, that preoccupation with... Um, trying to get strong, but also really maintaining, you know, a very feminine, you know, small Mm -hmm. physique was definitely something that I absolutely struggled with until it got to a point where I realized that I was at a crossroads and, um, and I had to choose between either becoming the strongest that I could physically be. And, and that was a pursuit that thus far had only ever made me feel really good and really capable about myself or did I actually, um, and, I ha- and I was very aware of all of this stuff at this point, did I actually have to then limit myself and say, no, I'm not going to try and be as strong as I can possibly be because there is this, um, this goal of this, uh, or this expectation of the smallest possible physique that I should be working towards. Mm. And I think that when you work towards something that's about achievement and that um, gives you really good things to your life, and then you are comparing it to a goal that has, like, let's say so, for example, being slim, a goal that you've never, ever really attained, that never, ever really gave you anything substantial, you know, or... um, or offered you a place where you felt at home in your own body, or you felt mm-hmm. safe within your own body. For me, it was it was a no-brainer that I that I chose the path of getting stronger. But that doesn't mean that it was you know this um, I was sort of skipping along, and it was <laughs> it was a path of self-acceptance because you're continuously coming up against this idea that diet culture puts out there, which is you know small small is the best thing that you can aspire to. Um, But also when I then looked at things from a gender perspective and I realized where that goal of smallness 
uh, came from and how much it oppresses you yeah. and, and how it kind of, you know, um, I think takes away a lot of your power and your voice in what you think your own body should look like. Mm. And I realized that, you know, this expectation, really what it boils down to is, you know, I was kind of saying that it was acceptable for men to be strong and muscular, but it was not acceptable for me to be strong and muscular. And then I had to ask myself, well, why is that? I would never accept that in any other area of my life, such as my career. So why would I accept that when it comes to fitness? Why would I accept that when it comes to my own body? And that was something for me that I realized once you once you learn it and once you see it, you can't unsee it. You know, it's there in your consciousness. Um, and to ignore it actually, you know, takes quite an effort of will. And so what I ended up just doing was recalibrating and thinking, well, what I now need to pursue is at sometimes my body will be smaller, at sometimes my body will be bigger. There is a place of neutrality to find within all of that. And I can only say this from a personal point of view, but there is a there is a place of neutrality and acceptance to find within that. And that is what I constantly work towards. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. What was the response to people around you, maybe friends and family, when you kind of came to that acceptance and that body neutrality? Um, I mean, initially, when I first started dabbling around with weights, Mm. I didn't really get much feedback. I think people just thought it was a great thing that I was doing. But I definitely noticed a shift um, amongst people when I actually said that I was powerlifting because powerlifting is quite a you know specific sport and uh, the, the sport for people that don't know is that you're attempting to lift the heaviest weights that you can possibly lift when you then go to a competition that's that's really the goal um, and you're doing it in three different lifts which are squats um, bench press and deadlifts and I think it was it was something about the fact that it was really heavy weight that I think made people concerned. You know, people were concerned that I might injure myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think people were concerned that, you know, my physique was changing and that I was getting, you know, overly muscular and so on. And I, and I think that 
when I'm saying it to you, you know, that sounds absolutely terrible. And it wasn't that I don't have really supportive people in my life. Mm -hmm. I just don't think that they knew. I, I don't think that because they didn't do the sport that I do, I don't think that they understood the undertaking of it and that when you're training for something like this when you're when you're working towards being an athlete that you're actually doing it in a really safe and controlled environment but it was really I'm not going to lie Harriet it was it was quite hard because you're trying to overcome a lot of your social conditioning at a time when um you know people around you are also not very sure that you should be pursuing what you're pursuing I mean, the reason I ask is because I have definitely had that experience with mm. my own family who, you know, bless them, hugely supportive and only ever want me to be happy and having a fabulous life. But at a point where I was like, actually, I, I, I think I might be taking a different approach to my body than the one that I've had for the last 30 odd years and hasn't really worked for me. Um, they found it really hard to accept. They found it sort of that I was going against a social convention, which was that as a woman, I should definitely want to be smaller and just saying, actually, I'm just, I'm happy where I am and it's all okay and it will go up and it will go down and it will just be okay regardless. And it was interesting to see sort of how challenging that was for just some of the people around me. Yeah, there's, um, so in in sort of, um, you know, uh, kind of psychotherapy and recovery groups and mm. so on, there's that, there's that concept of, you know, detach with love. Yeah. And that, and that unfortunately is, um, well, not unfortunately, actually, because it, it sort so, of restores your sanity a little bit. Very where, good learning skill. Yeah. Yeah. You, when it comes to this kind of stuff, you have to detach with love because the, the, the ultimate thing is, is that, you know, your loved ones around you, as mm. um, well-meaning as they might be, don't occupy your mind. They don't yeah. occupy your body. They don't have the same, they, they don't have the experience that you have of moving about in the world. And very often, I think also, um, because I like to observe people and I like to observe what they say. And very often I find that what a lot of people say is actually a projection of themselves. Um, sometimes it can be about you, but it's very often a projection of what they think they would do or, you know, how insecure they may be feeling about themselves. And, and an example I'll give you within that, which I'm, I'm sure you would have picked up on, mm. is how much people shame themselves around food, around the mm-hmm. food that they eat, right? Yeah. And it's something that when I say the detached with love thing, so for example, uh, okay, so I'm a power lifter. There is a certain amount that I have to eat in a day in order for me to be able to do my training. It's not going to be the same as what anyone else might have to eat because they don't train in the same way that I do. But you will still feel that when you go out and about and you have a meal with your, you know, um, with your friends when you're just talking to other people and they're they're sort of saying, oh, you know, oh God, I'm not going to eat dinner now because this meal that we had was really heavy and all of this stuff and it feeds into your own um, consciousness because you then think, oh no, maybe I should be, you know, doing exactly the same thing. But what I found is, is that I just don't comment on it. I don't acknowledge it. I don't, um, I don't sort of tut sympathetically along with, with whatever they're saying. I just keep really quiet and then the conversation can't go anywhere. So <laughs> then, yeah, it's, I, I would really recommend it. It's that is a good trick. Yeah, because the thing is, is like, you know, sometimes um, it's it's hard to maintain control of that. And sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't always stay quiet about it. But I know that the times when I've said something, when I've kind of, 
you know, said to someone, well, you know, I mean, why don't you just enjoy your food? You know, we've actually sort of made a point of coming out to a restaurant, just enjoy your food. We don't have to have a conversation about how many calories it has, X, Y, and Z. But I've just found the the number of times I say that, I always... um, I always regret it, and I, I just, uh, I would just rather just keep quiet about it and then just, you know, go back to my own life and, and do what I'm doing. I loved that you said there, I'm a powerlifter. How much of this has become part of your identity? Do you think? Um, it's part of my identity currently, but last mm. year, um. Last year, I was ill for about 10 months with a uh, longer version of COVID. And I'm currently recovered. I'm I'm recovered and I have been recovered for about three months. Um, But when it was ongoing, when there was sort of no end in sight, Mm. I did have to look at the possibility of, well, what if I'm never able to lift weights again? and come to terms with the fact that 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 may not be part of my identity anymore and that was I'm I'm not going to lie that was really really hard but what it ends up doing or what it ended up doing was it made me look at the other things that are that comprise who I am and actually you know um, I saw a sports psychologist who very cleverly asked me what would your loved ones say about you you know if they were talking about you and the qualities and values that my loved ones would have to say about me actually have nothing to do with powerlifting. You know, they, they have nothing to do with my physicality or, or my fitness. So the, the, what I think, while powerlifting is a very important part of my identity at the moment, I don't imagine that it will always be the case because there will be times when my body changes, when I may be not very well and so on, where I will have to draw on other things, other mm-hmm. other aspects of myself. So for now, it's something that's a very prominent part of who I am, but I don't know that it will always be a prominent part of who I am. And also I feel like fixating on aspects around you and really anchoring yourself to things that may or may not be within your control around your physicality um, can be a dangerous thing because it, it makes you very um, it makes you very prone to kind of shattering actually if you're not able to do those activities anymore. That was that was the biggest lesson I learned from last year. I mean, the so I obviously saw you go through that on social media and you talked about it very openly and it was I found hugely inspiring to watch how you handled that both physically and mentally how you sort of took yourself through it what did that experience teach you about strength it taught me that strength comes in many different guises that actually when we talk about something like resilience um you know resilience for example is uh, from my memory is the definition of which is the ability to move in an upward traje- trajectory um, while kind of remaining as mentally and physically healthy as you possibly can while going through various challenges. And it doesn't mean that you're not going to have stumbling blocks. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have moments or days when you know you don't want to leave the house or anything like that. But it means that, by and large, you can kind of move forward through something that is immensely challenging. Mm. 
And I think what it forced me to do was, I would say that it was one of the most mentally challenging periods um, of my life in terms of mentally doing the gymnastics around, you know, who I was as a person and what I'm capable of and what the definition of that was and what I was able to do within that and, and so on. And what, what made me feel productive, what gave me a feeling of worth and what I learned was that the biggest thing that was going to get me through this was the sense of perspective that I could maintain and also the mental agility to adapt to situations, whether that was looking at things in a very short-term way Mm. or being able to look at them in a long-term way. Um, And that was, I think, the thing that mainly got me through last year because I think when, you know, when this psychologist asked me, well, you know, what what would you do? How would you feel if I told you to think about the prospect that you might never lift again, you might never lift weights again. Mm. And I just said, well, that makes me feel absolutely horrible. And it, and it was a horrible thing to have to think about, but it did force me to look a bit deeper and see what else was there. And it turns out that lifting weights is, is a sliver, you know, of who mm. I am. It's a, it's a small aspect and that there's actually a lot there, I think, to be grateful for and to be proud of feels like a hugely important life lesson I think that we all need to learn actually what advice would you give to somebody who's listening to you who's maybe read the book which is out now and is fantastic so do go grab coffee but if they've read the book and they're like okay I I know that I want to I'm kind of inspired by this I want to go take on something I want to try something I want to see what my body's capable of but equally you know, perhaps they haven't had the best relationship with exercise in the past or they don't really know where to start or they are, you know, they're worried they're going to start and give up within two minutes. What would you, what advice would you give them? So the first thing I would say is that in, in addition to my book, I would follow um, Tally Rye on Instagram oh, yes. and I would, I would buy her book Train Happy as well. And she is a really good person for giving you kind of practical tips on how you really strip down that relationship with fitness and how you uh, kind of really bring it back to the basics. And the first and foremost thing I would do, which she also would advise you to do, I I hope, Tally, I'm not paraphrasing too much, (laughs) is to completely remove any aspect of weight loss or weight maintenance from the goal of fitness or physical activity and when you then think about physical activity and fitness think about what you want from that is it that you want to be healthier is it that you want to be stronger is it that you want to be more athletic is it that you just want to actually have fun with it and then I would try a number of different things you know I would try a number of different activities and that could range from swimming to dance to whatever it is Personally, at the beginning, I wouldn't necessarily, like so people are obsessed with fitness trackers. I wouldn't track whatever it is. I would literally, if it's going for a walk, just go for a walk and don't count the number of steps that you're doing. Just go for a walk, pay attention to what's around you. Just actually really fuse that connection that you have between whatever movement it is that you're doing to how your body feels and and also, more importantly, how your mind feels about it afterwards. Then once you've kind of got, you know, maybe an idea of what it is that you would like to do, if it's not going to be a triggering thing for you, then maybe think about what your goals might be long term. You know, if it's like a strength goal, like what would you like to do by a particular point in time? If it's, um, 
you know, like a cardio, like a swimming or a running goal, like is there a distance that you'd like to do or whatever, that sometimes works for people. Sometimes that really doesn't. But really, first and foremost, I would say it's it's figuring out what actually makes you feel really joyful within that. And I'm not saying that all physical activity feels joyful. You know, sometimes there are aspects of it that you're just like, Ugh, I really don't want to do this. But I would bring it back to that joy and bring it back to that place where you don't maybe feel as self-conscious. And if you are going to an establishment, if you are being trained or coached by someone that doesn't make you feel good about yourself, just get rid of them and just go gravitate towards people that will make you feel like you can do absolutely anything because, trust me, those communities are out there. That was Pornabel and her new book, Stronger, is out now. This week's listener problem is one that I fully empathise with. I definitely have a bit of this myself. It reads... This week, I received an invitation to a wedding. It's for a friend of mine who was due to get married in 2020, but postponed because of COVID. Now that things are opening up again, they want to go ahead with a big wedding in July. Nobody seems to know how many people they can have exactly, but she says she just wants as many people there to celebrate with her as possible. I totally understand that she's desperate for the big wedding she didn't get to have, but I just don't know if I feel comfortable going somewhere with that many people all bunched in together. I don't even feel comfortable going for drinks in a beer garden when it's really busy. And the pictures of people partying in Liverpool the other day genuinely made me feel anxious. Logically, I know infection rates are low and that my risk of catching COVID now is small. But every time I think of being around that many people, I can feel fear rising up in me. Before lockdown, I wouldn't have thought about this at all. I had no social anxiety and loved going on a night out. I really want to get past this and go to her wedding, but I don't know how. I think it's so lovely, actually, that you're not just instantly going, I don't feel comfortable with this, I'm not going. You know, it's really, obviously a really kind thing for you to think, I really want to try and find a way through this in order to go to my friend's wedding. And I'm not going to tell you that you shouldn't feel like that, because I think actually it's good. If we want to do things, we shouldn't be allowing fear to stop us doing them. However, what I do want to say first up is that it's okay to acknowledge that you feel scared. Right. Just because maybe people are telling you you shouldn't feel like this or the news is saying it's not scary anymore doesn't mean that what you feel about it isn't a legitimate and real feeling. So I would, first of all, just sit down and say, I feel scared about it and ask yourself what you're scared of. Are you scared of the potential of getting gravely ill? Are you scared of potential of spreading it? Whatever it is, just acknowledge that you feel a level of fear about that, because often when we try and dodge a feeling it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger so first of all let's just acknowledge that's how you feel and that's okay second thing you don't have to go to your friend's wedding it's okay to say no I wish more of us would say no to weddings actually if we don't want to go why would we go and ruin someone's day by being there and not thoroughly enjoying it you know if you don't want to go it's okay to say no however Because at the end of your letter, it says, I really want to get past this and go to her wedding. I think you might have some regrets if you don't at least try. So what I would suggest is, first of all, thinking about the fact that actually, in a way, going to a wedding is quite a good way to test out being in bigger groups of people again. The numbers are definitely going to be limited to some extent. It's not like you're going to be queuing to get in the door. And you're with people who hopefully you know, like and respect and who know, like and respect you. So you'll be able to talk to them about what's going on for you. So you might want to set some boundaries with them so you feel more comfortable going into the wedding. So maybe just tell her up front that you have this anxiety and this is how you're feeling, but you really want to be there for her wedding. However, you just want to know that if the anxiety gets too much, 
you know, you might leave a little bit early or you might have to go outside for a minute and you don't want her to worry about you. It's just you managing your own feelings. You might want to say to her that actually if she's getting married in a small church or a small registry office, that maybe you won't be there for the ceremony, but you would love to come to the reception if it's in a slightly more spacious space. Perhaps you want to say yes to the ceremony, but you're not sure that you want to do the reception with lots of drunk people dancing. Whatever it is, think about what are the bits that you feel really comfortable with, and then perhaps talk to your friend about it. If she's as good a friend as you are to her, she will want to help you feel comfortable at her wedding. And I'm sure you won't be the only person. So talking to her about it might actually help her work out some problems that she's facing around how she makes a wedding for a load of people who haven't been with other people for a year. And then finally, you might want to look at some other things you can do to help yourself with this problem more generally. So there's a kind of logical piece here, which is if the vaccine rollout continues, there's a good chance you could be vaccinated by the time you go to the wedding and the majority of the people there will also be vaccinated too, making the chances of contracting COVID very small. However, you might also want to look at some other types of therapy. So I've done something called EMDR therapy in the past, which is a kind of form of tapping therapy, which helps to manage anxiety. I found it really useful, but there's also things you could try like hypnotherapy or acupuncture or even just some classic talking therapy. I often find that when we just make space to talk about a problem, when we get it out there and we're really honest about it, actually, we don't even need to have an answer to it. The problem itself just feels a bit smaller. So look for some people that you think might be able to help you here. Something that might be able to help you manage that anxiety and perhaps think about how you can do some test runs on the way up to her wedding. So rather than going from seeing only one or two people to 100 can you do a dinner with six? Could you go to a busy park where you're outside, but there are more people around? Can you find small ways to build up gradually until being around people starts to feel normal again? Because what I don't want for you is for this fear to never go away. I'm not saying it will go away in time for her wedding, but over the long part of your life, if you're somebody who loves going out, if you're somebody who loves being around other people, then you need to start finding ways to try and conquer the fear. And that's about taking small baby steps to get back to where you were before. That's all for this week's show. I hope you've enjoyed it and found it useful. Porna Bell's book, Stronger, is available on all good bookshops now, as is my own book, WFH, How to Build a Career You Love When You're Not in the Office, also still available from all good bookshops. I'd love it if you bought either or, you know, even both of them. And if you do, please do send me a pic on Instagram or Twitter. I love seeing pictures of the book out in the wild. You can find me at Harriet Minter on all social media. I'll be here again next week. If in the meantime you wanted to rate, review, subscribe, always a delight. But otherwise, I'll talk to you then. You've been listening to Badass Women's Hour. If you like the show, then help more people find us. You can tag us or talk to us on social media using at Badass Women's Hour. Or you can be really lovely and leave us a review and a rating. Five stars, please. It helps boost us up the podcast rankings and allows other people to find us. We'll be back next week with more badass guests and in-depth chats. Hmm. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.